0: All right, this morning, this week, we're starting a four-week series. It's called Saved and Secure. All right, we talked about this a few weeks ago. And basically what this is is where we're going to talk about the assurance of salvation. How many people in here want to be sure that they're saved, right? We buy insurance for our car. We buy insurance for our... I want to make sure my stuff's taken care of, right? So we really want to make sure our life is taken care of whenever we give it to the hands of Jesus, right? I want to make... God, how can I be sure that I'm sure that I'm sure, right? We have, our culture is crazy about that, right? And so listen, what we want to understand today in this, these next four weeks is we want to understand how we, how we can believe that what God desires for us is security in our salvation. Like we want to know as we're following him that we know that we know that he is a good father and that he has a strong grip on our souls. Right? And that's what we need to know and understand today. Just like I never, my son and daughter, my, Chloe and Braxton, I never want them to come to me and wonder about their standing with me. Right? I never want them to come and say, does dad love me? Does dad, does he care about me? Does, is he going to feed me tonight? Am I going to have some food? Is my bed going to be gone when I get home? And, you know, all these kind of things. I never want them to understand, I never want them to believe that I don't care about them. And I promise you this morning, that's the same exact way that God doesn't want us to wonder if we're saved or not and that he's a good father. Okay, and until we have that assurance this morning, we'll never be able to walk in freedom and in the purposes that God has planned for your life. Until we are sure about our salvation, until we understand what our sin meant and what our salvation meant. we'll never understand what it means to walk in obedience, to be able to carry out the plans that God has us for us in our life. Y'all good with this? Are y'all waiting this morning? Got the Easter hangover? Okay, all right, here we go. All right, so in this series, what we'll be doing, we'll be digging through 1 John a little bit, okay? 1 John is basically all about an assurance. You the overarching theme of a John, 1 John is assurance. Um, the main, if you want to turn there, the main scripture we're going to be looking at for the next four weeks is 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Um, we won't be there all, all, all day today, but we'll be there for, for a little bit. And so this is, this is exactly where the people of John, or the 1 John, the people that John was talking to in 1 John were at. They were in a place where the Gnostics had come into the church, and they were they were they were preaching half truths about the gospel. They were saying things like the, the, the Jesus was only the Christ from the point of crucifixion to resurrection that he wasn't he wasn't fully God, fully man from the time of his birth. He, they were distorting the gospel, and what that looked like is they were influencing the church to start believing a false gospel. And there was some there was some just fogginess in what the gospel was, who Jesus was, was he really the Son of God, and what he, what John was doing is he was encouraging them, saying remember. remember, remember the gospel, remember what you've been taught because it is strong and is the power of God for salvation. And he said, you can rest, you can rest in in assurance in the work, in the final work of what Jesus has done on the cross. And you can look in 1 John, I think it's 1 John 4, there's a multiple, I'm talking about 5, 6, 7, I can't remember exactly. There's, There's phrases where John is saying, this is how you know. This is how you know. This is how you can know. This is how you know. Over and over and over again. And anytime you read something like that in Scripture, underline it, circle it, because that's an important phrase. Because we all want to know stuff, right? We want to know that we know that. We want to know facts. We want to make sure we understand and we have the full description of what we're putting our life on, right? So we want to make sure that we know. And so the main text I just told you, 1 John 5, uh, verse 13, let's read that together. What it says, John said. I write these things to you. Well, who's he talking to? The people who believe in the name of the Son of God. He's writing to Christians. I write these things to you, Christians. Well, why does he do that? So that you may know that you have eternal life. Uh, He's encouraging them, saying, listen, I'm writing this stuff to you so that you can know that you're saved. Well, why why is it so important that they know that they're saved? Why is that important? Because without assurance and security, you're going to spend your entire life trying to fill your life full of religion, doing things trying to earn your way to heaven. Without that assurance, you will never, ever, ever understand what it means to be saved. And so, some of the questions we want to tackle with this are these tackle these few weeks, and we want to deal with. We want to ask, like, how, how do you know that you know God? I want you to look in yourself in the mirror, I, and these next four weeks, um, I'll accept one, I'm not preaching one of the weeks, but wh- every week, I want you to go home, and I want you to look in yourself in the mirror, I want you to be like, I don't know, okay, this is how I know, because it says it right here, and I want, you to, I, want, I want this to be between me and you this four weeks, nobody else in this room, just me and you, let's talk, let's talk this out together, one-on-one, discipleship mentality here, let's, let's just do this together, because it's important that we understand these questions. The next one is, how do you know he loves you, and that you're at peace with him? How, how do you know that? Like, how can you, church, one of the things, the pro, one of the biggest problems the world has with you is because you can't articulate without using Christianese what the gospel is. And it's important that we need to understand, we need to be able to give a clear picture of what the gospel is and how you know that Jesus loves you. How you know that you're saved. How you know that you know the creator of the universe. Because that don't make sense to a lot of people in the world out there. And so this morning, let's answer some of those questions. How do you know that you're gonna spend eternity with him? What is eternity? How, how do you know that you're saved? And one of the things I do in discipleship, my first day, I'll ask, I look in your face, son, are you saved? And I'll just let you look at me. And I'll just, I'll just, we'll just sit there for a minute. Ask Thomas Blige. He'll tell you. The second question I'll say, he'll say, he'll say, he'll say, he said, yeah, I'm safe." And I'll let him say, how do you know? And it was just awkward. It was like, Ooh, okay. So listen, But listen, we have to answer those questions, don't we? Like We need to understand those questions. And before we go any further than that, we need to make sure we have those rocks solid down. And these questions, what they're, meant, they're not meant to make you doubt your salvation. Anybody walks out of here and doubts their salvation, I failed. That is not what it's meant to do. But what it is meant to do is it's meant to challenge what you're basing your eternal security on. Like, what are you basing it on? You, if you're here this morning, you're some nominal Christian who comes to Christian or comes to church on Easter and Christmas, and you come when your boyfriend or your girlfriend invites you, you come whenever your, your husband makes you come, or your wife makes you come, or your children's guilt, you. wherever you're at on that spectrum, what are you basing your eternal security on? And we have to be able to answer that with clarity. And we believe. That until we have a firm answer with these questions in our hearts, that, that you won't be able to fully walk out the plans and the purposes that God has created you for or be able to answer the calling God has on your life. Has he called you to be a, a pastor? Has he called you to be a missionary? Has he called you to teach in kids? Has he told you to disciple in your workplace? Well, if you don't know the answer to these questions, it's going to be hard to carry those things out without a religious mindset. You understand that? And so I guess the overarching questions, there's, there's two, I guess, that we need to, or one, that we need to understand and get out of the way. Does, does God even want us to know for sure that we're saved? Does he want us to know that? Does he want us to, does he want us to work out our salvation like you see in Philippians? What, what does that mean? Is that, is that what that's talking about? I don't I mean, listen, we need to be able to answer these things very clearly in our, in our hearts so that we can speak confidently out of our mouths as we're sharing Christ with people. And I want to tell you the answer to that question is yes. Jesus wants you to know that he loves you. God wants you to know that you're saved if you're saved. God wants you to be assured of that fact because there's two things. Because he loves you, and when someone loves you, you want them to know that you love them, right? If I love my wife, I want her to know that she's my sugar mama. She's awesome. (laughs) I want her to know that I love her. I want her to know that I, I would do anything for her. I want her to know you know, I want her to be sure of my love for her. And I would do anything to make her know that she is loved, as long as it's not illegal. And the only way that we'll ever develop a real love, my wife and I, or God and I, the only way that I will develop a real love with God is whenever I'm sure that he loves me. And I'm sure that I'm saved. And I'm sure that I've been delivered from my sin and I've been, I've been made new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the old is gone, the new has come. You know, I I become a new creation. That's how I know, and that's how I understand where that works. And I've heard a pastor say one time, he said, real love only grows in the soil of security. And so real love only grows in the soil of security. And it's so true if you think about it. When, When you make someone behave a certain way, when you make someone behave a certain way by threatening them or saying this or that, or you're not getting this or that, you know, you might coerce their behavior for a little while, but you'll never capture their heart. Does that make sense? Like, you, you can make somebody, if you got kids in here, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you, you ain't getting that. You ain't doing that. You, I'll give you seven toys if you come over here and take this picture. Let's go. Look, listen, we know what we're doing, right? That, that's what we do. And so you can't, that you can, they know that you love them. They know that whatever. But I'm saying you, you can never capture someone's heart by coerced behavior. And that's what God is after. He's after your heart. He's pursuing your heart. We talked about the um, the prodigal son last week, how God the father was pursuing the son through his life in his sin, even whenever he was in the middle of rejecting God. And this is how assurance works as we start this series. Assurance works, and this is how the gospel and assurance work together. They work together in bringing us to newness of life. And this is what it looks like. Because assurance in the gospel has so much more power to produce the good fruit that Jesus talks about in Scripture, in our hearts and our lives, than the threats of the law that you read about in the Old Testament, right? Don't sin. Don't don't do this. Don't do don't do this, or I will kill you. Like that. Listen. That that his love for me, the gospel produces way more good fruit in my life than, than trying to follow a set of rules and laws. Does that make sense? It's so it's so it makes so much sense. and, and God desires for us to be sure of our salvation. But here's the problem. Uh, I've read so many books and stories there's a, um, there's a book called pagan christianity uh, it's, it's a great book. It talks about how our culture is and how we do church. It might not be exactly how you know biblically it looks in scripture there's, a, um, and there's different books like that that i've read where it talks about how uh, like over fifty percent of Americans claim to be Christians. I'm not sure if that's still true today because um, it's an older statistic, but uh, they, they said that they prayed some sort of uh, sinner's prayer in their life. They, I've, I've said the prayer. I've, I've done this. And, and even though half of America have no regular presence in a church or, or any kind of lifestyle or worldview that is in any way associated with Jesus, period, but they associate, I prayed a prayer to get to heaven. I've, I've gotten my assurance, I've got my insurance down to, to be able to provide me um, some security and some stability in church. But when these people hear that you need Jesus to be saved, they think, oh, I got that. I've been there. I, I've been to church. I raised my hand in church. I prayed a prayer. Uh, I got baptized. I'm good, right? And, we, and a lot of times in churches, that's where we associate with who's saved and who's not saved. Somebody goes under water, comes out, oh, that's saved, next person. Yeah. We, we, we create converts instead of disciples, and we talk about that in here a lot. Well, the church has to stop creating just converts. We're meant to convert people, we're meant to equip people, we're meant to send people. Those three things are huge. We need to bring them to Christ, let Christ change their heart, equip them to be the men and the women they're called to be in Christ, and then send them into the world to see them their gifts used the way God intended them to be used. But they don't understand that. And this is where Matthew 7 comes in. Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. And this is Jesus talking. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. How terrifying is that? Let that sink in for a second. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name, drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Jesus said, and then I'll turn to them plainly, plainly. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. And you can look at that word evildoer, it's distorters of the gospel, arrogant, prideful. It's so important that we understand that most of all of these people that Jesus is talking to in this, in this scenario here will have prayed the prayer, will have been baptized, will have walked the aisle, will have done all of this thing, they have, and they'll have this confidence of a salvation that they didn't possess. That's terrifying. Just in case you that's scary than any movie you've ever seen. That's scary. That's terrifying. That's a, that, is, that, is, that, that is not where you want to be. Because all of this has happened because they didn't understand the gospel. They didn't understand what Jesus meant in the gospel. And this in large part is the American church today. We pray a prayer. Okay, I'm good. I'm in. We, we do the things. We, we think that God requires for salvation, all the while ignoring the commands that he's given us in scripture. If you don't believe me, Let's have a, a Bible memorization challenge. Let's see who's memorized scripture. Where are we at on Bible knowledge? Do we know what the Bible says on different things our culture is facing right now? And are we standing on those Bible biblical principles? Or are we standing on our worldview of experience? Because if our worldview is, is, is set by experience, we're gonna be off in left field somewhere. Our worldview has to be set on scripture. Set on scripture. You know, that, and that's why the world, and, I mean, that's why the word, the Bible says. And what he says, Jesus says, "If you love me, you obey my commands." That's not saying, "Obey my commands so I know you love me." It's saying the fruit of you loving me is going to be you obeying my commands because my 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 commands aren't burdensome. They're freeing. They give you freedom and surrender. It's beautiful how it just, there's a, there's a, just a, a freedom in that. But sometimes our pride and our arrogance says, I, "I'm my own boss, man. I'm not. I, I, no, I'm gonna do what I want to do." I make the rules, man. I got this down. I know what's happening. And honestly, I'll be honest with you, the greatest fear I have as a pastor is, that, is the thought that some of the people in our church being in this group, that terrifies me. It makes me lose sleep some nights because Jesus is describing church people in this, like us, like me, like you. People who are around the gospel all the time. They heard the gospel nonstop, but they never responded to the gospel. They never received it for themselves. They thought it was a beautiful thing. But they never allowed God's love to be theirs. They didn't believe that God loved them. They believed God loved everybody else, but not necessarily them. They never gave up the control to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They wanted to retain some of the control. They prayed a prayer, they they did religious activity. And my goal is not to, to scare anyone, but there are several things that church people often use to assure themselves of their salvations that are not at all legitimate. I mean, I think about the prayer. I think about religious activity. These people in Matthew 7, man, they were very active in their churches. You read about, we casted out demons. We did this. We did that. We did this. Jesus, did we not do this? They were, they were, they were very involved in their churches. They went on mission trips. They knew verses together. They, they served in church. They were even active in their, their prayer ministry at their churches. Did you see that? It says, didn't we cast out demons in your name? That's a big deal. They were helping cast out demons. And they were, Jesus said, I didn't know you. That's terrifying. That needs to make us say, where am I at, God? Show me where I'm at. And if you pray that prayer, I promise you, he'll show you where you're at. He'll give you a good sign of where you're at. That people sometimes, what they do in this little scenario, they use the fact that they're moral. And this is where the Pharisees were at. The, the, the religious people always get back to my morals. Look how good I am. I'd go to church. I was serving kids four times a week, you know. Or the fact they, they, but they use the fact that they feel guilty about their sins and their mold, their morals. You know, they they they, they use those things to, to to kind of give them some assurance. But you look at Matthew seven; these people were moral people. These people who they 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 felt guilty about their sins. But I want to tell you right now: feeling bad about your sins is not proof that you've been saved. There's multiple, multiple, multiple. Offices that have therapists and counselors, they have people that are are trying to help people walk through their guilt. There's whole companies built on it. And listen, you you can express repentance. You can express repentance and faith in a prayer, but it's not the prayer itself that saves you. You can can express all those things, but it's not the prayer that saves you. It's the repentance, and it's the belief behind the prayer that provides salvation. And it's possible to repent and to believe without ever praying a prayer. And it's also possible to pray the prayer without ever repenting and believing and having faith and understanding this is one of the crucial things in your faith as a believer. Because repentance, if I can give you a, a very uh, elementary definition of repentance, it is, is means to agree with God, to change your mind, to agree with him. You're right, I'm wrong. You're, you're right about my sin, I'm wrong. God, I, I need you. I, I, Father, I turn from my ways. I, I give you the glory. I give you my life. And that's what it looks like. And I love the biblical grounds for assurance. You look in Scripture. You look all in Scripture. You look in John where it talks about the vine remaining in me. The biblical grounds for assurance, if you look in Scripture, if you read the Bible, it's it's, it's a continued walk towards Jesus. It's a continued walk towards Christ. It's an abiding in him. And abiding means I live. I live there. I live in him. I live in Christ. Not an activity. It's an abiding. I'm in Christ. The abiding is what's going to produce the activity. It's the abiding that's going to produce the love, the serving, the giving, the going, the giving, the going, the loving, the serving. Is not going to produce the abiding. It never. It's impossible for that to happen. It's. It's. It's also. It's the denying of ourselves, not the pursuit of comfort. Pursuit of comfort, making ourselves feel better, comfortable, more, I got more stuff, I got more things, I got, I got, I have a better, you know, this, that, that. and that, I can't have a, I can't have an uglier house than this person, I got to make sure, comparing ourselves, it's not the pursuit of comfort, it's bearing our crosses, it's the, it's the fruit that proves that we are his, and it's the staying in a place of repentance. There's a big R repentance and there's a little R repentance in your faith. There's a big R repentance at the moment of your salvation. God, I turn from my sin and I turn towards you because you're the only one that saves. God, I give you my life. And then there's a little R repentance that you live with the rest of your life. You wake up, God, you know what? I need to give this to you. I I repent from this. I repent of this. I repent of this. And it's something, listen, some of you guys be repenting all the time, I know. But there's some of you guys that, that need to understand what repentance means. Because it wasn't until recently that I started understanding Repentance is me just turning to God and saying, God, take this because I can't control it. I can't handle this. I can't can't have this in my life. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite pastors, uh, there's a book I have, it's it's morning and evening with Charles Spurgeon, I love reading, and it it said this one week in there, it says, if any man is not sure that he is in Christ, he ought not to be easy one moment until he is sure. Listen to that. Dear friend, without the fullest confidence as, you are, as to your saved condition, you have no right to be at ease, and I pray that you never be so. This is a matter too important to be left undecided. And so today I think it's only right that we start at that, at that spot of being assured, which is the source of your security and your faith if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, and I'm not talking to, to religious nominal Christians today, I'm talking to Christians who follow Christ, it's the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. And at the root of the gospel, at at the very root, the very important fact that we need to understand about our identity in Christ, and it's what happens at the moment of salvation as our identity changes and we become a new creature in Christ. And what happens is, and it's this, this is the starting point of every gospel conversation that we can have in our hearts and ourselves trying to figure out where we stand with God, is we've been saved from sin and we've been saved for a purpose. You've been saved from your sin, not because it's about you, not because God doesn't want you to go to hell. That's not why you were saved from your sins. You were saved for a purpose, to a purpose to, to bring his name glory. That's what it's about. His glory, not our glory. And these two things can never be separated, never. They can never be separated apart. Like We're saved from sin for a purpose. So we're pulled out of the miry clay, we're pulled out of the pit, and we're put on purpose to go see God raise hands lifted high and praise Jesus for the rest of people's lives and the world to to the ends of the earth to see glory given to God. That's the point of this gospel. And until you understand what you've been saved from, and hear me on this, you'll never, ever, ever, ever be able to understand what you've been saved for. And I want you, I want. And my question for you today: If you're falling asleep or you're, you're out there right now, come back in real quick. Do you understand sin? Do you understand sin? Like, this is something that terrifies me, man. It does. Uh, with the question I asked you earlier, that should terrify you enough. But sin is terrifying. It's nasty. It's it's it is the grossest thing on the planet. And if we don't come face to face with our sin and drink it for what it is, like I, I got sin. I've got sin in my life that pulls me away from God. If we don't come face to face with the depth of our sin and understand it for what it is and experience the discomfort for what it is, I'm not sure that anybody in this room can experience the beauty of grace or can understand the beauty of the gospel. Until you come face to face with who you are without Christ, you can never appreciate who you are in Christ. And I want to tell you that now is, is so important and let's look at scripture if you don't believe me let's read Paul Romans 1 baby here we go don't get too don't get, don't get crazy on me here we go verse 18 to 23 Romans Romans 1 18 to 23 and then we'll skip over to 28 through 32 it says this I hear some pages turning I'll give you some more seconds. It says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godless and wickedness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So what this is saying is God has made it plain who he is. If you don't understand who God is, it means it's not on him. He's made it plain of who he is. Through scripture, through creation, through somebody speaking the gospel to you, he has made it plain. If you don't know who God is, it's because you've turned your ears off to it, you put a block over your heart, you have a hard heart, or there's a stronghold in your life, or you're living in sin. There's all kind of different things. God has made it plain to us of who he is. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Clearly is a word you need to circle. Clearly seen being understood from what was been made so that people are with with what without excuse for although they knew god they neither glorified him as god nor gave thanks to him but their thinking became futile and their hearts were darkened okay let me just before you start well paul's talking to somebody else let me let's just walk through this for just a second here for although they knew god they neither glorified him as god god nor gave thanks to him who in this room has been perfect about giving thanks and glorifying God this week. Exactly. Let's keep reading. Number 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings of birds, animals, and reptiles. And before you get too far down that trail, guys, we worship athletes, we worship football, baseball teams, we worship idols who are, who are musicians, we worship money, we worship our wives and our husbands, we worship things because we were made to worship and Satan likes to deceive us and cause us to worship things that aren't God. And this is what this is talking about. So we're not so far removed from Romans as we think we are, right? We're, we're, we're right snap, smack dab in the middle of it. Uh, verse 28, skip over there. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to their proud minds so that they do what they ought not to do. They bet God gave them what they wanted. He, had, he said, you want this? This is it. You can have it. He gave it to them. They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They, all, they were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They were gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They, they invented ways of doing evil. That sounds like our culture, right? They disobeyed their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So if you look at this and it says, they know God's righteous decree. We know God's righteous decree. We know God's law. We've read scripture. We know the gospel. We know those things, but not only do we ignore it, we spit in the face of it, right? We do that. Even as Christians, sometimes apart from Christ, we're fall back into this place. And we need to understand that we've ignored God. We've, we've desired the control for way too long. We've, we've desired the throne. We, we worship idols instead of God. We, I mean, how many times do we leave church to go to a ball game? Or we skip this or that or the other. We, we struggle with giving because we don't trust the people. We don't do that. We struggle with the things God has moved in Scripture to, 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 to push us towards in, in following him. And we've created, created things. We've, we've, we've worshiped created things instead of the Creator. We've suppressed the glory of God in our hearts because it demands too much of us and it makes us uncomfortable. And what I want to share this morning with you about assurance of your salvation is that we have to understand our sin before we can understand our salvation. We have to understand the bad news before we can understand the good news. You have to be able to sit in that place. And since God loves us so much, He gave us free will, He didn't make you follow Him. Isn't that beautiful? A God of all creation gave me free will to decide if I would follow him or not. He gave me a choice. And that is the biggest sign of love in the world is giving somebody a choice. And then he gave us things that we wanted and our sin. And that's what ends up killing us, our spirit, our soul. And look at the decisions of our culture right now, guys. Look at the the proof of our culture right now where every, even in the wrongness of the blatant sin of the things that people are passing and doing, and there's all kind of governments that are putting this into play, and there's all kind of things that go against the Word of God, and I hear people in church debating whether it's right or not, and it goes against Scripture. It's so what I'm saying. Listen, we, we, we are sinful creatures. We ignore sin. We justify sin, and we even institutionalize it sometimes. And it, it terrifies me of where we're going as a as a country and a world, but also as a church, because we're meant we're meant to be set apart. And, and our assurance of our salvation gives us life, it gives us meaning, gives us purpose, but it also sets us apart to do the things God calls us to do to call dead people back to life. Let's keep let's keep reading scripture. Is that good? I like scripture. Let's keep going. Uh, Ephesians two. Ephesians two, probably my favorite passage of scripture. The simple gospel. If you want to read this, this is it right here. Ephesians 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 first, and we'll come back to it in a minute. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. It says this. As for you, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He's talking to Christians here. You were dead. You're not dead anymore in your transgressions and your sins. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler and the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Just because we existed and we had sin in our heart, we were were deserving of wrath. And if you say, wait a minute, Michael, that that doesn't sound fair. It tells me that you don't have a proper view of who God is and who we are. It's important. <clears throat> our turning away from God, our sin, our failure to put God in His proper place, has called spiritual death in us. It's called us to die spiritually. Not—it's not a demotion. It's not a bump in our position. It's not—we've been knocked down a few levels spiritually. We can't—we can't do this anymore because we're not a spiritual. We're dead in our sins. We're dead in our sin. Lips blue, skin pale, cold to the t- dead. No life, no breath, no pulse. We're dead in our sin without Christ, without Christ. Until we trust in Christ and he breathes new life in our, in our lungs, we well, come alive. Just like Jesus was raised from the dead, God raises us back to life through the holy power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't come. I heard this this Easter. I think it was Craig Groeschel said, but I've heard many pastors say this. Jesus didn't come and die to make bad people good. He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And, and, and the word save, the word save here is a perfect word for this use and this divine action of what God has done. This word save, one of the definitions that I looked up this week, it says prevent from dying. He literally prevented you from dying. But the cool thing is you were already dead and he pulled you back out of it and caused you to be new, new life and you have a, you have a new, um, new spiritual life to be lived through him. And we'll come back to Ephesians 2 in just a second. Let's read 1 John. Go back to 1 John. Chapter 2. We're going to do a little bit of bounce around, but just bear with me. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And I want to show you what the gospel means legally for us. Legally speaking, what does the gospel mean to you? Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says, My children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And there's a couple words in here. One's advocate and the other one's atoning sacrifice. Another one of your versions probably says propitiation. Propitiation is a very, very, very hard Christian word that we might should know. But it's also a legal term. It's a, it's a big thing. Atoning, sacrifice, propitiation, That's those are the, they're very similar in meaning. Um, and the other word is advocate. And I want to go through these two words, propitiation and advocate. What do those two things mean for you in this scripture as you're reading? And this is why Bible, our biblical literacy is so important for us to know as we're reading scripture. What does this mean? You can't just read past this. This is, this is life-changing. This will blow your mind when you understand what's happening in these two verses. Do you, you understand that? And so propitiation, the word propitiation, it means that there's a charge against you that has been satisfied. A debt has been paid, the wrath has been absorbed. Uh, you, pretend like maybe you, uh, you're in a ball game and you trip and fall and you, uh, you hurt, you break somebody's nose or somebody's, it's your fault or you have a car accident or, or you break something that's somebody else's, right? Well, that person now legally has a charge against you to pay for the property that you damaged, Right? Yes, answer's right. Okay, get back with me here. So you owe them money. But the thing is, is when that money is paid, when you pay that money, that person has been propitiated. Does that make sense? Are we, we need to go back over that? Propitiation. He's been, the charge, the claim has been fully satisfied. You owe him no more money. And what Jesus has done on the cross, he's propitiated the righteous wrath of God against your sin, against my sin, by his suffering and paying the full penalty of our sin on the cross in my place. And wrath is terrifying, man. God's wrath towards sin is unimaginable. It's literally, it's literally, it's like you standing before God in your sin is like dropping a, a tissue paper on the surface of the sun gone. No chance before a holy God in your sin. You need Jesus in that moment to step in your place and say, God, he has been propitiated. You ain't got to use that word all the time. it makes make you sound super smart. I had to study it to, to get some of this stuff. And this is why the gospel is so awesome. This is why the gospel is awesome, man, because he loved you and he made a way for you. And I don't understand the games the church plays in this. I don't understand the, the push and the pull. I get that it's sin and I get that we're sinful, but I don't understand the trying to live in the world but also trying to live in Christ. I, I get it because of, of what the Bible talks about, it, but when I understand the truths of Scripture, I don't understand how I can play games with my Lord. I don't get that. Why? How am I, how am I that crazy, right? And the second word's even better. That's well, probably not better. It's, it's good though. Advocate, advocate. Advocate is, I used to watch this show a long time ago. It was JAG. Everybody watch that? The only reason I know this word was because of that show, judge, advocate, general. I was like, oh, he's a lawyer, man. That's awesome. And so it's, it's a story about lawyers. He's a lawyer. An advocate is a legal term, and that's what it means. He's, he's somebody who stands in between you and somebody else, stands between you and a judge and argues your case. He's a, he's a lawyer in your place. And what this is saying is if you're a disciple, and we talked about what a disciple was for 10 weeks, so you should know what that is. If you're a disciple of Christ, Jesus is your advocate. Jesus is your advocate before the Father. He stands there like a lawyer, and he's pleading your case, pleading your case. And I, but I'll tell you what, the thing I, I understood, I, I didn't understand about this is what he was arguing. What's he arguing? Like, is he arguing for your innocence? No, no, I'm not innocent. I can't, he, he can't argue for my innocence because there's zero innocence in my life. I'm not worthy to stand before God. Hey, I, you know, listen. We've established already that you have zero innocence before God apart from Christ. You are a tissue on the face of the sun before before God. If you don't have Christ, you have no innocence to argue. Jesus would sit there with with nothing to say because you're not innocent. Romans three, twenty three, all of sin and what? Fallen short. You've fallen short of the standards of God. So what he does is he argues your propitiation. That's what he argues. His work on behalf of what he's done in. In me, in, in my life, he's, he's taking my place. He says, Father, you, you can't hold Michael's sin against him. I suffered the full penalty of that sin that's been taken care of. You can't, that's, it's done. There's no double jeopardy here. You know, there's, no, there's no charge left against him. My righteousness is on him. You don't, the, you don't, there's no charge against him. It's, it's taken care of. And we don't think about that sometimes in that way. And Because I, I used to have this idea when I was younger that Jesus was standing as my advocate before God. And I thought that meant Jesus was standing before God pleading for leniency on me. Don't, 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 you know, give it, just give him like one punch in the face, you know. No, don't be so, don't be so hard on him, you know. He believes in me. He tries his best, you know. He goes to church. He gives an the offering. He does this. He serves the kids. You know, but this terrified me. Because what if God didn't listen to Jesus' case at one point? What if, what if God said, you know what, I'm righteous, he's not, and said he's just? Since he's just, he says, no, he's out of here. And deep down, i always wonder, man. I was like, when I reach that end of God's patience, when is that going to be? Like, is it like 590 sins? Is it like seven sins? Seven times 70? I'm like, Where am I at, God, in this world? No, but... I've had enough. He's No, but this is where we get it wrong. Jesus doesn't appeal for mercy on behalf if we are his. He appeals for justice. He appeals for justice. He has satisfied all the charges against me if I am in Christ. And he now says to the father, he says, says, father, I paid the price for this one. And I took the penalty due, Michael, and there's nothing left for your wrath to come against. And all the credit for that is due to me. And it's only right that he not be held accountable for the sin that I've taken care of. That's good news. That's the good news of the gospel. If you look over a chapter, or just right above that, in uh, 1 John 1, 9, what does it say? If we confess our sins, that means we come humbly before God. God, I don't have it right, but you do. Father, I need your help. I need your help in living. God, I've done this. Father, forgive me for this. I've broken your law. I need your forgiveness. It says this He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So not only will He forgive us, but He'll also purify us and go with us and help us as we go. And notice what it says, though. It says, it doesn't say He's merciful and kind to forgive our sins. It says He's faithful and just to forgive our sins. God forgives our sins, not because he's lenient, but because he's just. Do you understand that? It's not because he wants to be a little bit, I have mercy on you, bro. No, he's just by the law. He can't, he's done. The sin is over because God is just. He couldn't, he couldn't demand two penalties for the same sin. Thank God. And that gives me a lot of confidence in my faith. That's why I have assurance in my faith. That's why I believe Jesus saved me once and for all. That's why I want to tell people about Jesus. That's why I'm able to walk around with a smile on my face, my shoulders pulled back a little bit, and say, my God's got it. I may not got it, but he's got it. I can walk in freedom in that. I can do the things he's called me to do with freedom, without fear of sin or shame anymore, because I know my life is in his hands, and he's taken it for me. And this shows us that once we're saved, once we're saved, Christ comes into our lives, and there's nothing else for us to do except do what he says do and go where he says go for the rest of our lives. And we die to ourselves, we come alive in him because of what he's done. Nothing, nothing, it's nothing to do with what we've done or we have done, or what we will do. And this is why we can arrest in our security and our assurance and our salvation. Because if we're saved, but there's nothing we have, it's because of nothing we've done, and it's totally dependent on all that he's done, because it's something that is, if it's something that I've done, then it's going to mess up consistently, and it's never going to be good enough to stand in front of a perfect God. The reason we struggle with assurance in our salvation is because we still think we have some sort of thing we must do or some sort of goodness that we must attain before we are accepted before God. That's why we struggle with it. I'm not, I've screwed up this week, so i gotta, I got to go in here and, uh, and self-loathe for 10 minutes and pray for two days, and then God, he sent me back. You know, I won't talk to him for a little while. I didn't make myself right. Now. And then I'll come back after he's forgotten about that sin, and, I'll, and we'll make sure we're good again, and we'll get, I'll get back to serving again. That's how we treat God. And that's pathetic. What this shows is a lack of understanding of the gospel. It shows a lack of understanding. And what this is is an epidemic in the church. It's time for the church to stand up for what the Bible says, to read it, to know it, to do what it says. Gospel literacy is so important to the life, to the effectiveness of the church. And Satan knows this. And so what does he do? He attacks the heart of man to to, 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 to accept half truth to accept an easier way to accept something else that that's an e- it's easier to get into but if we understood what we're safe from and what we're saved for really we would be unstoppable as believers in Christ and as a church the big sea church not just this one we all would if we understood what the gospel meant for us we would be unstoppable and john is trying to show the audience that he's talking to the church that god has removed the guilt from their lives who wants to live a guilt-free life Everybody in this room would love to be guilt-free. I'm just speaking for you because I know it's true. If you want to be guilt, that's weird. There's no charge left against someone who is in Christ. And I'm telling you right now, I'm not trying to assure you of something that you don't have because if you are not in Christ, if you're following a, a half-truth about the gospel or you, and you're not saved, this hope is not in you. And that hurts me to say, but it's the truth of Scripture. And my heart this morning is for you to understand this and to receive it for your, as your own, to be able to walk in this freedom, to be guilt-free, to be able to walk in, in, the, in the victory that Christ has, that there's no charge left against you. It's not about I pray to prayer. It's not about I've been baptized or I serve every week. It's about is your life now hidden in Christ? Have we become a new creation? Is there a fruit in your life that points to say, I'm a child of God? Can somebody else look at your life and say, that man right there is on fire for the Lord? He loves Jesus because I see the Holy Spirit working in him. There's people in this church today that I've seen go from death to life in Christ, start start being discipled, start joining a connect group, and I've seen their life change. And I've watched it, and it's amazing. That is what Scripture is talking about, the fruit of Jesus coming alive in somebody. I sat across the table with someone before who was confessing their deepest, darkest sins to me, and I was like, it was like, it was like, oh my God. Now this person can't get enough of Jesus. This person can't get enough serving, can't get enough of going and loving on people because Jesus has changed their heart. And that's what he wants to do in the life of every believer. Anybody comes into the presence of God, that's what happens. Jesus changes us from the inside out. The old is gone and the new has come. Do you understand what you've been saved from this morning? The sin, do you understand it? Has it hit you in the face? And do you understand what you've been saved for? The purposes of your life is way more than coming here on a weekly basis and warming a seat. It's it's, it's more than going to work and going home and, and all these things that we get kind of bogged down in. It's way more than those things. The lengths of what Jesus went to for you just to save you was not so you could have a comfortable life, but so that you could be bought back from your sin and be restored to him as a faithful image bearer of Christ. When we get this, man, when we get this, when we get this, how can we not be secure in our position with him of what he's done and what he's saved from? But so many people think their salvation is about them. And it's not, guys. This morning, hear this. Your salvation is not about you. That's hard to say, even even harder to accept. Your salvation is not about you. But when that's the place we start from, and my salvation was about Michael, guess what happens? I'm insecure because I can't hold that weight that God has. But so many people will still think that their salvation is about them. When that's the place we start from, that's where insecurity comes, and that's where kingdom effectiveness dies. But assurance and security in our faith, what it does is it creates humility in us, and it also creates confidence in us. And those two things are like what? That's weird. It's a humble confidence. It's a confident humility of where we are. It creates humility in life and confidence in eternity. It creates humility in our relationships and confidence in what we believe. Confidence in who you are in Christ. And most of all, confidence to walk out the purposes you were created for. And the only experience more the only the only way to experience more assurance in your faith and your salvation is to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into Scripture and deeper into the Gospel. The only way to experience more assurance in your salvation is to go deeper in the Gospel. For those of you this morning who've struggled with this, it's probably because you've walked away a little bit from Jesus. It's belief in the Gospel that leads to assurance and security. A lot of you will nod your heads this morning in agreement like, yeah, you're right, bro. But it hasn't affected the way you pursue the knowledge of God. It hasn't affected the way that you live yet. You know what I mean? We're still, we're still nodding our heads. We hadn't walked it out yet. My heart and my dream whenever we planted in this church was to see hundreds or thousands or however many God wants people walking their lives out in confidence and assurance of their faith and walking in the purposes that God created them for and the gifts that He's put in their life and them actually using them. Seeing the church come alive with the gifts. This community's changed. The knowledge of God is what changes those things. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed from lack of wisdom, from lack of knowledge. We're still trying harder. We're still trying to to find time to read the Bible. We're still trying to find time to pray. And guys, if that's where you're at, that's a dangerous spot to be. Pursue him. Find him. Seek him. It's more important than your job. It's more important than any amount of money that you're making. It's more important than your family. Jeremiah 29, 13 promises us, it says, we will find him if we do what? Seek him with all our heart. You will find me if you seek me with all your heart. And what else do we need to know this morning before we start obeying what we already know? What else do we need to know? What other fact do we need to hear? What other point do we need to be like, yeah, that's good? What? How much more do we need to know before we start doing what we already know we're supposed to be doing? You know, where do we, where do we draw the line? This right here is why we encourage people every week. Serve, give, go, serve, give, go. Get plugged in, community, connect group. Because this is where life change happens at. It's because, you know, it's because we need to see that being devoted to Christ is, is us coming alive in the church. But one of the many reasons why some of us struggle with this is condemnation. If that's you this morning, if you're struggling with condemnation here this morning, it's a lie from Satan. It's because, Romans 8 tells us that. It's because we devote so much time thinking about all that Christ has yet to do in our life that we forget that how much Christ has already done through Christ if we're in Him. We forget our security issues aren't, aren't caused by a lack of Jesus, uh, they're caused by a lack of seeking Him and a lack of, of faith in what He's done. Jesus is plenty. He can take every bit of insecurity you have. He can take every bit of sin you have and, and, and destroy it. But we've allowed sin and Satan to define us by our shortcomings and our sin. We've allowed him to take us out of the game spiritually. We, and we've, we've willingly jumped into this little hamster wheel of trying to earn our way back to him and trying to find some sort of worth that may not even be in Christ. And we follow at a distance. And we become fans of Jesus and not followers. And that's not where Jesus wants us. It's not why he died, and that puts us right smack in the middle of Matthew 7, and Jesus has created you for way more than that this morning. Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to live nominal Christians' lives. He didn't. He didn't die for us to aimlessly wander around this world for 80 years with a distant association with God. Jesus died to pave a way for us to be confident and assured that because of what he's done, we can stand before the Father boldly. Boldly stand before the throne of God. Can you imagine standing boldly before God? My word. I read scripture about God, like in, in Revelation, like the throne room. I mean, I get all kinds of emotions, but boldness isn't one of them. Like, wetting my pants is probably the, the biggest one I get. You know, that, I'm terrified. That's, who that's gonna be big time, you know? If you're a Christian in here this morning, a disciple, you were saved from your sin for a purpose. Live in that. Christ has done all there is to do for you to live in that freedom. All there is to do. You don't have to turn there, but we're going to read Ephesians, the rest of Ephesians 2. I want I want you to hear this. Verses 4-10. through 10. But because of God's great love for us, who is rich in mercy, He made a way, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. So that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork Created in Christ Jesus as a new creation to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When you find your identity in the one who created you, guys, it'll change your perspective on everything. When you find your identity in the one who created you, that some of us need when it comes to our faith this morning, we need to understand, we need to have a perspective change. When God gives you a new heart and He gives a new your spirit, He's doing what He's doing is not for your sake. He's doing it so His name can be made great through your life. He is the object of salvation. He, His glory, is the centerpiece of all that God wants to do through us. We're not we're not a Christian for our own well-being. We're a Christian to look like Christ to the world around us. And this morning, where are you at with this? Because I'll tell you this: now we're, our prayer team is praying for this. Because I believe our church is suffering from some sort of, I don't know it's a stronghold or some sort of heaviness, but whenever the, the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit is present. The, the gospel and the Holy Spirit, they go hand in hand. They, they move the people's hearts. The gospel always requires a response in our hearts, whether we're saved, whether we're not saved. If you hear the gospel, there's a response. There's a response that happens, a response that happens. In a, so what is your response today in this? Are you saved? Do you know that you know God? Do you know that He saved your life? Do you know that he, the, the cross was for you? Do you know it or is it just some not, just head knowledge? Or is it something that's changed your life? If it hasn't, if it's just something you just, just kind of like kick to the side for a while, listen, if, if you need to come to Christ this morning, I, we're going to sing another song here in a second. I'll be over here. Some of our prayer team will be up here. Don't leave this place without responding. If you're not sure of your salvation, Let's talk that out. Let's walk that out together. But let me tell you something. When you understand who you are in Christ, what he saved you from, which is sin, and what he saved you for, your life will change forever, and God will create in you a new new person. And in that person's life, you will see things that you never thought you could do. You will see places you never thought you would go. And God will work in your life that you never thought he could. And that's what it's about, about living our faith out for him. And so this morning, I wanna pray for you and as I pray, y'all come, y'all, y'all lay some stuff down on the altar, repentance, prayer. If you need prayer, we have prayer team. If you need to accept Christ for the first time, I'm here to do that. I will walk you through every step of the way. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. And I pray, God, this morning that you would just be evident in the, in the hearts of people this morning, God, that you would move in this place. God, I pray there's someone this morning here that is, is far from you, God. I pray that you would just bring them near. God, I pray that the heart that's distant, God, that you would break it right now in Jesus' name, Father. I pray that you would move in this uh, in this congregation, God, that you would move in our church. You would make us more like you, Father, that you would give us an assurance of our faith, that we would know what we've been saved from, and we would know and be confident what we were saved for, God, and that's to bring you glory for all of our days. God, we praise you, we give you glory because you're the only one that deserves it, God. You're the only one worthy of it. In your name I pray, amen.